Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's first letter to Timothy. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And uh, one of the ushers will bring you a Bible. Just leave your hand up and you can take that Bible home with you if you like. And uh, before we stand and read the scripture, so we're, we're, in, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. If you're uh, not familiar with Calvary Chapel, we will teach through the word. Okay, you know that. So we, we are going to cover topics that um, you may not see if you, if I, I mean, I thought about today, I told the, the prayer team, I said, I think today is when I start teaching topically. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, of course. But um, we're committed to teach through the word. So when you get to that point, you got to cover things that you may not cover if all you're doing is topics, right? And you handle it. So let's stand together. Let's see what God has for us. Second Timothy chapter 8. Or chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Paul writing, we left off here and we'll pick it up again right here. Paul writing, he says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also the women uh, uh, adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but uh, which is proper for women professing godliness. With all works, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith. Love and holiness with self-control. Lord, no doubt that you wrote this, had Paul write this to the church in Ephesus, and you've canonized it for us today, and you have your seal of approval. So it's like any scripture that's in, in within these 66 books. We want to take it as it is, and we want to apply it to our lives, and we ask that you would give wisdom and grace and help us to be... Uh, sitting in our chairs and not running out the doors. <laughs> and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. i got to find some humor somewhere. <laughs> so as I mentioned, yeah, you know, if you're not familiar, we teach through the Bible. you got to teach things that normally you're not going to find. I remember going through 1 Corinthians, and, and it was chapter 11, the head, head covering. And I, I, I did a poll and said, okay, how many people out there have ever heard a a message on this chapter, and there's maybe, you know, a few hands, and I, I bet they heard it the last time we taught it here, you know, they heard it, but, you know, you got to, you got to come across those things, and they may not be the, the funnest things to talk about, they're not going to draw people, unless you're a male chauvinist, and you got things blown out of proportion, it might, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but another thing to point out here, too, is that we have a culture today that we live in that is going to teach you anti-God stuff, Right? And I'm not fighting culture, I'm fighting scripture. I'm, not fi I'm fighting to keep it pure, keep it right. So the culture out there doesn't and shouldn't 
dictate what you and I do. The Word of God should. And we need to live by God's Word, and we need to make sure that what God says, that's what we're applying to our lives. So we have a thousand voices coming in through, you know, channels of TV and through internet, social media, and phone calls, text messages. You have teachers, and you have, uh, you know, people in uh, universities, and and all these things that are teaching some well more educated than I am as far as the, the world is concerned, and even some biblically they might understand some things, but when we come to God's Word, we need to change the culture by God's Word, not be changing God's Word to the culture. I've sat with people over the years that have said, well, that was for yesterday. That was for Paul's day. And, and uh, I said, well, we, why do you read any of it then? You know, why do you read any of the Bible? If the Bible isn't true, why do you read it? See, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. From Genesis to Revelation, it's been given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And listen, that the man of God may complete, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so it has a purpose intended for it. And so that we don't live according to our ways, but according to God's ways. For myself, speaking for myself, when I first came to the Lord, and I'm still learning, but I first came to the Lord, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I, I didn't know, I mean, I, I didn't know Job from Job, you know. I, I just didn't know uh, what was there. But I knew that God had intended me. I didn't, listen, I didn't know how to love, didn't know how to take care of my wife, didn't know how to be a husband, didn't know how to be a father. And I had to learn these things. And as you learn these things and, and you're learning how to allow God, the Word of God to come in, again, verse 17 of that passage says in 2 Timothy, that the man may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That complete means to be fit. I mean, God is changing us, men and women alike. He's changing us from, you know, we come in from, maybe if you've given your life to the Lord in the last year, you, you've been, you know, had a lot of the culture out there, like when I did, I had 29 years of society, of the culture, of the, the way things were in the 70s, 60s, and the 70s, and the 80s. I had a, a lot of influence in my life. But when coming to God, I had to say, well, wait a second, something is different. And God is either God's going to hold the authority or I'm just going to get it from whatever I want to get it. And here we understand that, again, God's word is to shape us from our old ways, is to take us and make us that new man, that new woman. It doesn't matter how old we are. We don't have to wait till we're an adult before God starts shaping us. The moment we come to faith in Christ, amen? You may be here at high school, junior high. You know, you're looking at, well, when does God start shaping me? Well, if you belong to him, he wants to shape you, and he's been shaping you. And he's got you in a home that is shaping you. It's an incubator right now. He's kind of shaping you. But the problem with our culture is we've tried, the culture, I said, they've tried to manage without God. And they try to set God aside for so many things and then try and operate on their own. And sadly, our culture without God's word has gone as far as adding curriculum into our children's about changing genders. It's just crazy to see there's 42 million worldwide abortions last year because we're removing God's word. Six of the average from uh, 2013 to 2016 in the U.S. have been over 650,000 abortions a year. Now, that's kind of crazy because of God's word. See, God's word says a lot and it settles it. We don't have to argue about it. 
The problem is we try, not only we, but in the world today, in church, in churches today, that we try and um, debate over what God's word says when it's so simple to us. And we just have to look at it and say, this is what it says, thou shalt not murder. Well, okay, that's what it says. And he says a baby was conceived in a womb. It, 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 God knew you before you were even born. He knew. I mean, you know, as we see in Jeremiah. But all these things come to pass that we got to take a grip on it and say, if God's word, if I'm a believer, and this is God's word, then all scripture is inspired. It's been given by the inspiration of God. And I'm going to say yes and amen to it. And so I'm going to let it shape me. It shapes away not only just my, my heart and give, gives me a proper love for my family and my wife and for you, and, uh, but it gives me a proper heart for the enemies too, right? Those, those who pick on you. But it also gives us a proper heart and an understanding on how we're to vote, how we're to walk through life. There's so much of importance that we get through the Word of God, and so we stick to it. We want to know, want you to know the full counsel of God's Word. And so we pick it up as we left off last week, a reminder to pray in verse 8, where we start off. Paul again said, And I desire that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. This is often seen in the Old Testament. Solomon was one. He stood up in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, spread his hands to heaven. And, and this is just what Paul would say. He says, you know what? He had talked in verses 2 through 7 about uh, the importance of corporate prayer, the church coming together and praying, because we have a God who answers prayer, and men, we should lead our women to the prayer meetings. We should lead them in prayer. We should desire to be the one that is saying, honey, uh, let's not mark anything for the first Sunday of the month. We're going to go to prayer. And we're, we're just going to be involved in prayer. We want to see God move. We want to see Him moving in our church. It's not my church. It's the Lord's church. But we all make up the, the church because the people are the ones that make up the church. It's not these walls. It's not this stage. It's not anything like that. But it's the people that make up the church. The people that, that understand that Christ is the head of the church. And so he says that men everywhere would pray, lifting up their hands. Now you know what's interesting? I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible where it says we have to close our eyes and bow our heads to pray. You know that? <laughs> but we do it, and I'm sure we do it because... We want to uh, just cut off the distractions around us, right? So I'm just going to shut my eyes. And I ask people to do it when I give an invitation so that the person who is making a statement of faith will know, you know what, I just want to do this between them and the Lord. It's not between anybody else. It's between them and the Lord. But as we saw last week again, that prayer needs to be high on every man's list. We need to have a desire to pray. If we're not going to pray, then who is? We're going to leave that to our wives. They need to pray too, and we'll see that in just a moment. But we need to be men that are praying, men that are calling upon God, men that are leading in that, taking our families to the throne of grace. We need to be men. And it also reminds us that we're going to be men that are going to pray everywhere. You're praying at your work spot. Oh, I can't pray at work. Yes, you can. You can pray wherever you go. I'm going to pray for my neighbor. You can offer prayer or you can pray for them. You're going to pray for at restaurants, pray at homes. Pray at gas stations, wherever you go, wherever it is that you want to pray. Paul says, pray everywhere, not just at church. But you see guys praying after the men's breakfast out in the parking lot. You see them Sunday morning or Wednesday night after church, you know, just praying for one another. It's cool to see people praying, but also out there because people are in need of prayer. They don't have to be a believer to want, need prayer. We just need to pray for them. And Paul says, you know what? He says, I desire, therefore, that the men, 
everywhere. Pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without doubting, uh, without uh, wrath and doubting. So he says, and we touched on this a little bit, but let me just get through this. Uh, he says, without wrath. He, you know, what Paul's saying is don't let anger influence your prayer. Because if that was the case, you'd probably influence it, not for the better, but for the worse. And you might be saying, God, take those people out of there. Those people that, you know, came against me or those people that were, you know, they had aught with me or they threw an egg in my car or whatever, you know, you're like, I just go get them, God, you know. And he's not saying that to, to pray in anger. Don't let wrath, don't pray that. Although David did pray in the Psalms, he said, God, get them. God, get my enemies. So it showed his person, person, humanity, if you will. But you might be angry and pray something like that. You know, Lord, take them out. But you, what we need to pray is, Lord, help them through the needs of whatever they're going through in life. Why are they angry? Why are they, you know, they might be angry. They just lost a loved one. Remember the story I, I told some time ago, a true story. I used to go to the, like if I'm going to the hospital, and I'd be driving like crazy just to get there in a hurry, you know, cutting people off. I got to get there, man. This is my calling. God, they're hurting. They're emergency. And I'd go to the hospital and then, uh, you know, trying to get there and not driving very safe. And, I, and, you know, you get people that tell you you're number one or they honk their horn. And you, Come on, what are you doing? They don't know where I'm going. I'm going to the hospital or I'm going to this people. They need me right now. And then a couple of weeks after that happened, I saw this car zooming by. Zoom! And I'm going, Lord, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, maybe they're going to the hospital. Maybe their loved one is in, <laughs> you know. So watch the wrath. Don't, you know, don't be so wrathful. As a matter of fact, when somebody has something against you, Jesus said, you have heard, it, heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. The blessed are those who curse you. Uh, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So we're to pray without wrath. The other thing he says is without doubting. Pray without doubting. We're to pray trusting God. As men and women, we're to pray trusting God. See, our children will know when we're angry and how we pray, right? Because they hear like God hears. They say, man, dad, mom, dad is grumpy. I mean, he, do you hear his prayer? I mean, they know that. They're listening to us, you know. And, and not that that should be the influence. The word of God should be the influence. But he says, without doubting, that, you know, we come home from a hard day. We're not, we're not a hard day at the office or a hard day at the plant or wherever we work at. We're just to trust God. We're to be men of faith. We're not to walk in the door and the first thing we do is, you know, yell at the kids, yell at the wife and kick the dog, you know. <laughs> we're not to do those things. We're to be showing that we're trusting God. On the way home from work to home, that we've kind of taken these things up with the Lord. We're, Lord, I've got to trust you in this situation. I can't doubt it. When, we, when we're doubting, it's like, well, if you're not going to handle it, Lord, I'll handle it. Uh, but we need to trust him. And so we're to pray and trust in the Lord. There's nothing too hard for him, right? Is there anything too hard for God? Nothing's too hard for him. So we're to trust him and we're to have the ability, or he gives us that ability to then have peace ruling in our hearts. Remember what the author of Hebrews says, he says in chapter 11, verse 6, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Amen. So as men, we need to be men that are going to pray. 
Men that are going to trust him. And we're leading our wives in that. When things go, you know, the, the electric bill comes in and, uh, or something happens. We're not enough to go to the end of the month. You know, we, we have ways of showing ourselves. But what the Lord tells us to do is pray. And our wives and our children need to see that, that we're going to be men that are going to pray and trust God. That though there's difficult times of difficulties, we're going to take it to the Lord quickly and promptly. Just give it over to him. And so that we move from that prayer into this, uh, uh, the women's section where Paul's, and again, I have to say, I'm not, not fighting culture. Culture is going to do what culture does. But we're fighting to keep the scriptures pure in the culture that we live in. So here in, in uh, verse 9, Paul begins to speak to the women in the church. Remember, they would read these things openly as they received a letter to the congregation that would be their study. There would be no interpretation of this. They would just read it out loud. And so in verse 9, Paul says, In like manner also, so, so too are the women to pray. If you go back from verses 1 through 7, especially uh, verse 8, In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and, and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls, costly clothing, but which is but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So there's a way that a woman is, is to be seen as being spiritual and godly and having good works to her. But Paul tells us that the women in the church should adorn themselves in proper apparel that is fitting for the church. And I know that it's harder to find out there when you look out in the clothing manufacturers, they use less material for more money nowadays, you know, and sex sells everywhere, it seems. But he's, you know, the, the, the problem here is what Paul says is don't let that filter into the church. Don't let that be a part of the church. See, women in the church shouldn't be overly influenced concerning how the, the fashions of the fads are out there in the world. That That's how I've got to dress because everybody's getting the attention on how they're looking, so I need to dress like that. Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. He, what Paul is not saying is that a woman shouldn't dress nice or can't dress nice or can't wear makeup or any of those things. That's not what he's saying but that a woman shouldn't uh, rely on making themselves beautiful by carnal or worldly fads. He's pointing to the inside of the heart. The heart is what matters. And, and here's what's interesting too is in Ephesus at this time of this writing, the women would adorn themselves from images seen in the world. It's kind of like today we have young ladies trying to keep up with the Kardashians. It's not about that. That's, there's more to life than that. That shouldn't even register on the life of a born-again Christian. See, just as it is, it is today with all the different fashions that are out there, and people want to, you know, they look and they ooh and they ah over these things, and you've got to remember that the advertisement agencies spend billions of billions upon dollars to get you to think that this is how you got to look. But it's not so for the church. You're not to be judged on what you wear. You're not to be judged on, you know, whoa, how slick you are or how great you can, you know, look. Even when we have, what's interesting is when we do our baptisms here, we really make sure that we're doing things properly with our gals and that we're not having any wet t-shirt nights, you know. 
We want to make sure that they're covered, that they're, you know, we're not, want to, we're not here to stumble men. And keep in mind with that very thing, the problem is men and women are wired differently. Right? And we need to respect that. We don't understand that. But we just respect the fact that we're just wired differently. It's just how we are. So we, you know, we don't want to, males are males, females are females. We don't want to stumble one another in the things that we're doing. So but Paul is saying is these provocatively dressed women, they would show up at church, and it's very possible that because they're coming in, adorning themselves by looking like these uh, really temple prostitutes, that's what they would do. They, we have TV today. They have the temple prostitutes that would come down from in Ephesus and, and run through the cities, and people would look at them. And, and I would imagine, I, don't, I didn't live back then, but, you know, you get guys that are going, wow, look at that. And the wife's going, bam, what are you doing? Well, if that's the way I'm going to get your attention, maybe I need to, you know, it's not like that. You don't need to dress like that. Guys aren't after that stuff. It would be wrong for a guy to have you dress provocatively. And so during the culture, again, at this time, that's what they would do. They had these Roman goddess coins that the women admired. They cherished and they would dress up like that goddess or, like I said, the, the temple prostitutes. And Paul's saying in the church here, don't let it take place. So we got to think of what was happening there with the temple prostitutes, the goddess of coins. What's happening today? Well, look at, I would say look at TV. Don't look at TV. Uh, and just, just be yourself. Just be yourself. And then on the flip side of the coin, what's interesting about this is some churches carry this over too far. They make it a rule to where all the women got to wear their hair in buns. Uh, they got to wear these long flowing dresses that sweep the floors. And uh, they just hire a janitor to take care of that. But they, they, you know, sweep the floors. All their little boys look like leave it to beaver. They look like, you know, just take a little bit too far on this sense. And I think you get a little legalistic, if you will. But just Paul's just saying, don't let the world influence you. Don't let the world influence you. The other thing is like pastors have to be cautious of is don't let the pulpit influence, the, the pews influence the pulpit, but let the pulpit influence the pews. So we have to be, because I know people like different things. I know what they, you know, but we want to make sure that what we're doing is by the word of God, doing the best we can, you know. And so the, the, this part that Paul's talking about, it doesn't have a legalistic uh, association to it. It points to the church building up one another, not stumbling one another, just building one another up. And so the beauty of the woman is not in what she wears, but it's who she is in the Lord. Look, Ladies, here is where your beauty should come from. First Peter chapter 3 says this, Do not let your adornment, that's beauty, do not let your adornment be merely outward. You know, the arranging of the hair, the wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So there is only one that you really need to really look to pleasing, and that's the Lord. And just say, Lord, you're my father. You're the one that sent your son to die for me. How do I do this? How do I dress? How, do, how should I do these things? And so God has it mandated. He said, I'm looking at the heart. Remember when, even when King David, when all these brothers came up to him and they were looking for a king, he'd look at how about this guy? He's got muscles, you know, <laughs> or look at this guy. He can throw the javelin. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but you know what it got down to? They saw David's heart. 
They saw his heart, and that's what God was after. He goes, men looks like on the outside, right? You look at the Sauls, the guys that are big, got wavy hair, and you look like, uh, you know, never mind, but you, you have those, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what we look at, to judge beauty and to judge all this stuff. But what God is saying is, I don't look at that. I look at the heart of the matter. And so the world looks at using those things. For the women, let your heart display the beauty of Christ. Amen? Verse 11, Paul gets into the women's role of the church. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, verse 12, and do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but be in silence. Now, I can see right now men elbowing their wives. Honey, we're talking about this when we get home. <laughs> this one, you've always wanted to talk about the word. We're, this one... But let me remind you of something. I'm going to remind you of the theme of this letter so you don't, it'll keep you from being legalistic or chauvinistic, okay? Paul says this in, in the third chapter. I think I re remind us every time so far in this letter. You can look at it. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.15 says, I write, Paul is writing to Timothy so that you may know, and he's reading this to the church, how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God. The operation, the running of the church is not open to debate by men. It's not open to be changed by any congregational vote or they feel happy for this should be, oh, I like it this way. Nor is it open for debate by the church bylaws. The church bylaws don't supersede the word of God. Nor does the church change to keep up with the culture around us as I mentioned and I will continue to mention but the conduct of the church has been mandated very clearly by God. The church is the body of Christ. And he hasn't left us in the dark pertaining to the, what he sees fit. Listen, we are seen as his bride. So he has some information to give to us. And he makes it pretty clear. And, uh, you know, so, so we're his bride and we're to operate according to what he has planned for us. And so, you know, again, the conduct of the church, is, it's mandated very clearly by God. This, this also is not a letter to the church that is losing its battle in culture. The, the church is planted in this culture. This church was planted in this culture 18 years ago. But the culture out there isn't going to influence the church. Paul is saying this, you know what? We're not here battling culture. I'm not worried about that. But again, we're battling Scripture. We want to make sure that, Timothy, your responsibility is that they teach no other doctrine. Timothy, your responsibility is that they become and they hear the Word of God. And they're, they're hearing it, not being watered down. Just give it to them. And so it's not a letter that to where they're saying, oh, no, culture is creeping in. And, you know, we're, the culture, I'm not worried about the culture. We'll change the culture one heart at a time. And if you're not saved this morning, you can be the next heart. Join Come in and give, give your life to Jesus. This is what it's all about. But I say that we here at Calvary Chapel, Longview Council, we need to stay the course of God's word. We need to stay there. We're not going to go to the right or the left. No matter what the culture is or what the culture says or what people feel about, you know, well, that was yesterday or today or whatever. Listen, it's a culture that needs to change. And the way the culture is going to change is by us sticking to the word of God. And so we see that as the role of, of women in the church. Uh, 
Paul said again, let them learn in silence. What the silence is, it has the idea of without contention instead of total silence. It's, just, it's without contention. And you have to think about this because since the days of Jesus' ministry, Paul's writings, uh, there has been a lot of, of um, roles that the, the women, uh, they've changed drastically. Jesus did everything positive for, for the women. He did that. And um, when you come and think about these days, he's changed it for the better. But we are clearly seen and accepted as one in Christ. We have roles and responsibilities, but we're still seen as one in Christ. In many cultures before Christ came, the, the women weren't so equal. So if you remember, I'll read, read you just a little tad bit about ancient Rome. For example, it was the upper class women in ancient Rome they mainly centered uh, on, on the running of the household, the raising of children. They weren't even allowed to own property or to control their finances. And all the family inheritance, all the dowries that they would get, they were turned over to the husband. So if you younger gals or you gals in here that aren't married and you had uh, been given a million dollars, well, the minute, you know, because of uh, an inheritance or whatever, the minute that you got married, it's no longer yours. It's your husband's. It's in his control. That's the way it was back then. Nor could you participate in politics. You couldn't vote. You couldn't run for uh, political office. And women des women's decision-making power was strictly on the management of the home. Take care of the home. Of course, women of the lower class then... The lower class citizens, they were slaves, freed women, and prostitutes. And even fewer, they had even fewer rights, and they lived their, their lives mostly with this back-breaking labor. So Jesus comes on the scene, and he says that we are equal. You look at Galatians, there is no man or woman, there is no Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Christ. He just broke down every barrier and said, we are all equal with one another, though we have roles and responsibilities. And so, you know, the, the world today, though Jesus comes on the scene and he puts us in, because he created us, and he puts us in our proper XXXY chromosome roles and, and uh, you know, responsibilities, the culture today wants women to be in charge. The culture, and you think about many women, you know, they can lead in, in, in responsibilities and capacities and throughout corporations do a wonderful job, but as for the church, the leaders would be the men. Remember, it has always been through the very beginning that it had been the responsibility. And I don't say this with, with a, uh, a male chauvinism thing. I say this as a responsibility. There's a great responsibility for me to lead my family. But it's a, it's a great responsibility that I also work with my wife. And we are one. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But, but it's the God of, you, you ever know when God set up the order, it was man was created first. You ever look at, the, it's the God of Jacob, of, of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. And you always see that men, he called 12 disciples. He called 12 men to be the leaders. And it was just the responsibilities. The shoulders of the men are the ones that are carrying the major responsibilities of the things that go on there. And especially this is talking about within the church. And so the thing that we need to understand, although there's this oneness, there is still an order that God has given to the church. There's an order and a responsibility that God has given to men and an order and a responsibility that God has given to women. My wife, yesterday, she said, I asked her, 
I said, uh, hey, do you need any help? She was getting dinner ready or something. She goes, well, how much more time do you have? And I said, honey, I'm teaching on the women's role in the church. I'm going to need extra time. And she says, did you know I'm making dinner? (laughs) I had to throw that out there. You're a wonderful, wonderful wife. I love you. But as for being silent, listen, listen to this. Let me share this with you. As for being silent in the church, a lot of times, and this is still practiced in a lot of the Mennonite today, a lot of times the women would sit on one side and they would sit there with their daughters and the men would sit on the other side and they sit there with their sons. And then there would be a section when they got older and they could behave in church that they could sit with their peers. But what they would say is if a woman had a question, she would say, hey, honey, did you hear what he said about being silent in the church? What are your thoughts on that? You get what I'm saying? Nimyo, cut it out. Take your husband home and talk to him about it. And if he doesn't have an answer, he's required to find the answer, right? I mean, that's his responsibility, find the answer, be the man. And if he needs to talk to me, he'll come talk to me. And I'm going on vacation for three weeks, so good luck. <laughs> just, just kidding. But, but that's, that's what it's talking about here. They're going to go home and discuss the passage. What do you mean about that? That's, that's what he's talking about here. What, he said hollering across and causing commotion. and all. That's all what it's supposed to be. And, and this meant that there were to be, you know, guys, you're to be ready to give an answer. You're to, you're to have that answer. Be ready. And concerning teaching, look at what it says in verse 12 again. He says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And see, a woman can teach, but I want to share, I'm not going to deny that. I'm going to show you what Titus says. I think it's up on your screen. Titus chapter 2, listen. It says this. This is their role when they teach. But as for you, speaking of the men, speak the things, or Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, uh, in love and patience, the older women likewise. So remember, there it was good for the goose, good for the gander. There you go. But he says in chapter, verse 3, as he continues, that they may be reverent behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So they're teaching there. And this is their role, that they, verse 4, number 1, admonish the younger women to love their husbands. Right? So women, the older Mature women, you are to teach the younger women how to admonish, how, how to love their husbands. You're to admonish them on how to love their husbands. Number two is that to love their children, right? Children were wonderful until they turned the age of two and they start arguing. And you love that child. I'll let it get to you. Number three, to be discreet. That means safe in mind or self-controlled. Be discreet. Number four, teach them how to be chaste. That's clean, modest, and pure. They're coming out of the world. They don't, you know, hey, what, let's, let's see what it is to live godliness as a woman. These are things that are hard for me to answer, but the, the older women, can, they know how to do that. They're, they're wired differently. But it's the same scripture, it's the same passage. So number four was chaste. Number five, how to be homemakers. Number six, how to be good. Number seven, Obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed. I'll tell you what, you learn those seven things and you teach those seven things and we're going to have a really, really blessed marriage. 
The men have to learn their thing, don't get me wrong, but a lot of women, if they learn these things and they're obedient to their own husbands, listen, so the word of God is not blasphemy. We want to live within that. So the women are to teach women how to be godly women. And there should be no room for women in the church to be senior pastors or pastors or elders. And just because the culture has changed, it doesn't mean that God's word has changed. Everything concerning all of this change started happening about 1969 when they really started pushing it. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, changes started taking place and things were questioned. Not until 1969, but it, there was a big shift in our culture back then. These words weren't hard to understand. Eve and Adam, or excuse me, Eve was deceived by Satan and twisted the scripture. And when they were to teach other women, so they're not to teach the men, they're to teach the, the other women, and it is best to fall under the statement of faith that the church has that is approved by the church. And let me give you an example. When we have women's studies here, which we're going to have in this summer, we'll have for anybody who wants to come, uh, the women or the men, and as young, as old as you want, to learn how to t teach the Bible. We're going to have inductive Bible study classes on Saturday mornings, so you can come and learn to teach but for an example of all of this, in, in our own life, my wife and I, I love my wife to death, but she's not my assistant pastor. She's not your assistant pastor. She's my wife, and she's only my wife, right? And I don't go home with things that people say, you know, there's hardships in the office. I don't go home and tell my wife anything that pertains to that because my home is a sanctuary, and it needs to be that place where her and I, where our family is just dwelling together. We don't get into how things are bad at the office and stuff like that. It's not her responsibility. The responsibility is me to call Pastor Ray, one of the elders, one of the deacons. Hey, guys, I need some prayer. What do you think about this? It's not her responsibility. And so you have this thing to where, you know, um, the wives or, or families will operate in this much. And, and you know, there, there are things that, we have to go through and we'll do in life that we just have to see what God has for us. Now listen, Paul then, thinking about this, he makes this case, he appeals to creation and he says, for Adam was formed first, this is the order of creation, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, fell into transgression. So here Paul said, it's not, it's not a cultural thing. It's not a cultural thing, rather it's God's design from the very beginning, as I said, you know, there, there should be this order there. And this is an order that man is the leader and the woman is created to be the helper, not the leader. Culture wants to argue this. And this is not a slam to women. But culture wants to argue this to put women to be in charge of men. And then this is the problem. See, culture wants to argue, but we have to remember Eve was tricked and denied and deceived. Adam was not. See, Satan deceived the woman into sinning, but Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. And so it was Adam, not Eve, rejected the God-given order. Adam was at fault in that. So number one, he listened to his wife and didn't correct her, but instead he ate of the fruit. Number two, he disobeyed God. And number three, brought in sin and death into the world. And so this tells us is the importance of men to be the leader in your home. Guys, you've got to lead. Adam failed to humble himself and instead, he openly and willingly ate of the tree, the fruit that was offered to him. I'll tell you, we have these church planters that go out all over the place. The new thing is to be cool. And the new thing is to, you know, get this attractive, good-looking couple and say, pastor and pastoress or whatever they call them. 
And, and it's just to be cool because, it's, man, we are cool we're here. And they both got skinny jeans. Sometimes you can't even tell which one is which, the way they're dressed. <laughs> but let me say this. Look, I want to say, Jesus, listen, Jesus is relevant to all generations. I don't have to be relevant. I don't have to be like suave and divineer. I, can never, I don't wear suits. I can't because I break out in hives. I mean, I do. I mean, it's a lot of internal hives, but I do. I, I, I don't like, anyway, let, let me say this before closing. We're blessed to have such godly women here that serve wholeheartedly. I'm here to tell you that right now. We are so blessed. But they don't hold the position of authority. Why? Because we love them so much not to put that burden upon them. Verse 15, look at what Paul says. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Some, you know, you, you look at some people, what do they say about this? She will be saved. Some people say that means the salvation, but that's wrong. It can't really hold to it because there have been godly women who have not been able to bear children, right? So it's not what that means. Nor does it mean that they will never die in childbirth. Unfortunately, we've seen that happen or heard stories of that happening. The word that is used here is sozo, and it means this, preserve. It means preserve or preservation. A woman may, may not be able to influence uh, with authority over the church, but she has every blessed privilege to influence her young children as she gives birth and raises them up. Remember Timothy? Timothy, the guy who's writing this, was a recipient of a godly mother and a godly grandmother. Pouring into his life. The first few years of what goes on in that child's life are most important. And you wives, you moms, you ladies, you're the influence. And what an influence that can be. Just an incredible influence. And so that sozo is preservation. It, may, it means being blessed to the utmost. If you want your life to be fulfilled to the utmost, preserve that family. Preserve and begin to teach the children. And teach them, this, you know... I need to add just, just to clear up confusion. It doesn't mean a woman can't have a career, but it's referring to the operation of the church. He's saying, you know, if you want to be blessed, this is the way it should be. Now look at Where have we gone wrong? Where have we gone wrong? The church has caved into the pressures of society and the thought that if a, if a woman should be in the place of the man and take the responsibilities of a man. You know, that's the curse that God put upon women. He said this, he said, to the woman, remember when they fell? He took care of Satan, the serpent. Then he took care of the man. He took care of uh, the woman here. And he says, and the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrows in conception. And in pain you shall bring forth children. You shall desire, uh, and your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. That's your, I mean, that, that's the thing that society, we see that today, do we not? That women, let's make women the... Uh, you're taking this right, right? <laughs> the, 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 they're, they're, they're saying society wants the women to be in control. And God's saying, listen, that's what I told you in the garden, that that was going to be a problematic for you. And so he says, that's not it. Creature has created it almost, uh, or excuse me, culture has created it almost impossible for women to stay at home because of the, the dual, you know, um, incomes. But, but again, it's possible it's possible if you go without 365 channels of cable TV, and if you go without, you know, the fishing boat and the big house, and you got to, I mean, it's possible, but I'm just saying this is what God's word says. He says the idea is not to get men and women to be in competition with one another. It's not it at all. 
but it's that they might bless one another in the roles that God has given to them. Listen, when Adam was created, he took Eve, God took Eve from his side, right? The only thing that would put him back would be a woman, Eve, woman. The only thing to make him complete again. So culture says that you can be man with man, woman with woman. That doesn't make sense because God created the only way that you can be complete is to have a woman. So the husband and wife, they come in together and they are to be complete. I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for my wife. I am so thankful for her. Where have we gone wrong? Churches have taken things into their own hands and because they don't want to upset anybody or they don't want to re rely on uh, the way God has made it for us and they don't want to, you know, surrender to his plan, but they don't, uh, some make people happy. I don't, you think I get up here? I mean, I was, after an, uh, an hour, losing an hour of sleep and I told my wife, I don't really want to go to church tomorrow. <laughs> I don't want to go to church. <laughs> but many denominations have accepted the roles of pastors filled by women. It's just not to be so. Right? It's not to be so. And I have to say this. I'm not looking to be cool. I'm not looking to be, you know, the, the next generation of, of um, pastors and, and, and church. I'm, I'm not looking to be, you know, culturally relevant. See, Jesus Christ is culturally relevant. Because every one, man, woman, and child, no matter what era that we live in, no matter what we go through, Jesus Christ, every man, woman, and child still needs their sin to be forgiven. Right? And so we're just trying to stick to the Bible. And we think, oh, I ain't going to that church. That church. They're Jesus freaks. That's a compliment. But, but here's the thing is like we just need to understand that Jesus in every culture, it's him. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. He's the same. And he's the same that he wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to get the message out. That I've died for the sins of the world. That people may come to me. And then when you grow in faith and you grow in the Lord and you grow in these things, you're understanding, man, you know what? The more and more I read of God, the more and more I'm falling in love with him. The more and more he says, it's going to change me. I'm all right with that. The body of Christ coming together and does what it does. I'm so thankful that we have men and women in this church and in the church in general that serve so faithfully, that keep the doors open that allow us to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.